we see the whole of the Old Testament as a revelation. The whole of the Old Testament is a mystery that is made clear in Christ. We put something out on the church Instagram this week. Uh, this question, who is your favorite fictional character um, or series uh, and why? And the response was hugely underwhelming. And I know you've seen it. Because when you look at a story, it tells you who's seen it. So thank you to the one, singular, who replied. I had to look him up. I didn't really know who you were talking about. <laughs> but still, that's what you kind of expect with this nice uh, international fellowship. Who's your favorite fictional character? Like, I don't know. Is this appropriate to share a church or not? I had to look him up. Because uh, you're watching an American version of a very British show. That's why I had no idea. Um, but yeah, so I know you've seen it because Instagram tells me that you've seen it. So I was very underwhelmed with the response and I thought we'd be able to share, have a nice little laugh together about what we all like, but no. So if you, if you don't want to do it, then I'll just tell you what I think. <laughs> uh, my favorite uh, fictional character or series would be this guy, uh, Sherlock Holmes, not Iron Man. Now some people are laughing, they kind of get that. He also plays Iron Man. Sherlock Holmes is not a real person, just FYI. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes, not Iron Man, not Doctor Strange. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, why do I like Sherlock Holmes? If you're not going to respond to stuff on Instagram, then you're going to have to listen to me talk about stuff like this for a couple of minutes. Why do I like Sherlock Holmes? Well, the element of mystery uh, in the stories is so good. But then, once they're explained to you at the, at the end of the story, usually... Uh, it all, it's all so clear. And you wonder, how did I not see this all along? Like It's been there all along. And all it needed was just a little bit of explanation, just a little revelation, and the whole thing starts to make sense. Why are we talking about Sherlock Holmes? Not Dwight from The Office? Uh, because... This is exactly <laughs> what Paul is doing today. He's explaining just a little bit a mystery. And so, it would be really helpful for us if, as we move through this passage that Brenda just read for us, to, it would be really helpful for us to think about the stages of a really good mystery story, the kind of which Sherlock Holmes is uh, but the office is not. Maybe this is why people don't respond. <laughs> because I'm going to laugh at their favorite sitcoms. Anyway, so it would be really helpful for us to think about the stages of a really good mystery story, how we read it, what we do at each point in the story. Uh, and first up this morning, as with any good mystery, uh, there is a problem that needs solving. There is tension that needs to be resolved. Uh, so if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in 1 Corinthians 15, just a couple of weeks, a couple more weeks, and we'll be through uh, this letter. And we're going to pick it up this morning, as Brendan read for us in verse 50, uh, and we're going to see first the tension, the problem that needs solving. So we're going to read again together uh, verses 50 to 55. 
Now, this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? So, verses 50 to 55, there's the tension, there's the problem uh, in this passage. Paul picks it up from last week and he reinforces this problem. If you were with us last week, you, you know what he's talking about. There must be a change for us, in us, before we enter into eternity. If we hope to live beyond this life, if we, if we want more than this, uh, there must be a change in us. And he's saying now, again, what he said last week as well, that just as we are, exactly as we are now, flesh and blood with a huge propensity and proclivity to sin, no, we're not fit for eternity. And there needs to be a change in us. He talked last week about the resurrection body and how it's kind of similar but kind of different. And he's reinforcing it here. There's the problem. We want more and we want to live on into eternity, but exactly as we are, we can't. And there's a bit of an extra layer to this tension, the, uh, kind of another layer on the problem. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a bunch of people who claim to be a Christian. And so this is not to convince them to, to take up Christianity. It's not a piece of written evangelism to pass around and you know, convince people to uh, convert. But this is a reminder to them of something that they should already know and be able to show with their lives. Look, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So he's, again, he's, he's correcting their misunderstood uh, understanding about what comes next after you die, that we uh, we die and we become purely spiritual beings and we float off to heaven. Paul is saying, no, it is you. you, you it is you, but you need a, a change. And you, you can't change yourself. Uh, so here's the problem. There's the mystery, one which he, he will go on to explain. The mystery of how we, fallen and fallible sinners, end up in eternity with a holy and righteous God. And he says, well, I, I will tell you a mystery. We will be changed. We will all be changed. How is the problem? How are we going to be changed and made fit for eternity is this mystery. But thankfully, Paul is going to tell us how. Uh, and before we move on, it's really, really important to know when we read about mysteries in our Bibles, it's not something that's going to remain a mystery. It's not like a mystery that you find at home like <laughs> in, in your Bible. Thankfully, uh, there is always an explanation. It's not like being at home. It's not like, who made this mess? And everybody in your house is just stone cold. 
poker face? Who made this mess? Who spilled this food? Who didn't clean up? These mysteries are explained. It's not like the mystery of church starts at 10. Why does everybody arrive at 10 past? We'll never know. You're laughing, but it's true. When we read about mysteries in our Bibles, we're never ever left to wonder for too long because the author wants you to know what's going on. Uh, So it's just as accurate to uh, talk about mysteries in Scripture and mysteries in God's Word as a revelation. So Paul says, I will tell you a mystery, could quite just as accurately have said, I'm going to give you a revelation. I'm going to explain some stuff uh, to you. So again, when we read about mysteries in God's Word, it's something that it might be confusing or difficult to begin with, but it's always revealed and it's always made clear uh, and explained. And he's telling the Corinthians, look, there's this mystery. We will all be changed. We will be changed. The perishable bodies that we've got that we talked about last week that come with an expiration date that breaks so easily, that are good at doing what they shouldn't do, they will become imperishable. Our mortal bodies will become immortal. And that has to happen, he says, if we want to inherit the kingdom of God. If we want to live on beyond this life, there must be a change that happens in us. And when that happens, Paul says, uh, then what's written, what was written before, we'll see before our eyes. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Now, if you're looking for this in your Bible, word for word, you probably won't find it. He's kind of mashing some stuff together. Uh, I love that he does that. He's not chapter and verse, uh, you know, like all real mathematical about the Bible, page this, paragraph this, subsection B. He's, he's, he's just jamming it together. Like, look, the Old Testament says this. He's quoting from Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13. Not precisely, but because he's understanding what was written in the first three quarters of the book by what has happened in light of this mystery that we are now going to start to understand. And he's really building this tension. There needs to be a change in you. You will be changed, but kind of add into it even more. Uh, If we read verse 56 together, so that we will be changed, you must be changed, but the sting of death, the, the bringer of death into our world and our lives is sin. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. How do we know what sin is? It's the law. He unpacks this uh, a little bit more in his letter to the Romans, if you want to talk about that, how without the law, uh, sin is not, we don't know what it is, it's not counted. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that another day. Uh, so at this point in our mystery story, we've been introduced to the people uh, and the problem. And for us now in real life, uh, unfortunately, we are the people and we have the problem. We want to be in eternity. We want to live on beyond this life, but we are sinners. We need to be changed. We need to be made fit for eternity, but we cannot do it ourselves. And so how this change happens is the the mystery that he is going to unpack. 
just like a Sherlock Holmes story, very, very simply. And the bad news for us at this point in the story uh, is that we do sin. Uh, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. We act in ways pretty much every day, all day, every day, that contradict who God is and how he desires that we live as our creator. And our Bibles call this sin. So more literally, it means to miss the, miss the mark. Think about archery or uh, target practice. If you're in the military, you've missed the bullseye. You're, you're miles off. You're not even on the, the target. You're miles away from it. And when we choose to live contradictorily against how God is and how he wants us to live, uh, and we know how he wants us to live, Paul says there, uh, the law, God's revealed word to us, when we choose to live uh, in a way that we know is explicitly and expressly wrong, that takes us away from him. The Bible calls that sin. God is life. We read that our sin takes us to death. And that is a huge problem for you and for me. And so it is a mystery how we can ever be in his presence how we can ever be in right relationship with him. Because we sin without even trying. That takes us away from God. It contradicts who he is and how he says we should live in his word, the law that Paul calls it. How can we ever be right with God? Is the mystery that Paul is going to explain. Uh, it's a huge problem for us. But, another but, God sees this. God knows this. And he loves you tremendously. And his word to us tells us that he desires that none may perish. And please hear me on this. Nobody, and I mean not a single person ever born or to be born, nobody ever, 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 ever is created in his image to simply be destroyed. Nobody is born and no, you, to die. It's, his word tells us very, very clearly he desires that none may perish. Nobody is created in his image just to be destroyed. He wants all to be changed. God sincerely wants you to get this, to see this mystery, to understand this mystery, to be free of sin's consequence in your life, death. Because that is how we are, we are then able to fully and truly and properly commune with him uh, now. And how we are able to do all of that stuff into eternity at all. He desires that none may perish. And so, because God sees this problem and he loves you tremendously, throughout the Old Testament, we read of this mechanism for sinners like us, to be able to be in God's presence. How it all worked is laid out for us really clearly in what we would call the Old Testament. There's this vast and varied, quite complex uh, routine of sacrifices, uh, but nothing lasted. They were very, very temporary. Uh, there was no true and lasting change within us. It was kind of like putting a plaster or um, a band-aid on top of a gaping wound. It's going to hold for a little bit, but then it's just really 
It's not really what you need for that problem. Uh, and so for the first, like, I don't know, 77% of the book, it's temporary. We're papering over the cracks. But then when we get to the end of the book, we see that everything's going to be put right. Everything's going to be redeemed. Everything's going to be restored. Everybody can be forgiven permanently, not week by week, month by month, year by year. Everybody can be accepted. Everybody can be restored to the original intention for us as people, uh, being in the very presence of the God who made us never to die. And so how do we get from giant problem to uh, new Eden? Well, Paul reveals this mystery so simply uh, in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How good is that? This huge problem. You sin, that brings death, takes you away from God. And then in just a few words, a few words he says, thanks be to God who gives you, who offers you this change of perishable for imperishable, mortal for immortal. God gives this to you freely for you. God freely gives to you the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ, we read. The consequences of our sin, death, is taken away from us, is satisfied by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And at the same time, the righteousness that he earned by living this perfect, spotless, sinless life, in the prize for his obedience and sinless living is freely given to us and received by us. It's just, a, from our perspective, the deal of the century, it's, in, it's a beautiful exchange. He takes the consequence for our sin and gives to us the righteousness and the prize that he earned by fulfilling the law. And if we were reading through that mystery novel, if we were at the Sherlock Holmes story, we'd be at the point of the story now where we read just a few words and we think, oh, I'm such an idiot. How did I not see that come in? How did I not get it? Of course, that's how it works. Paul tells us that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been given victory over death, which is produced by sin, which was codified and quantified by the law, which is what Jesus kept flawlessly. He didn't sin, and therefore death had no claim on him, and it just takes it all out of the equation. And so by our faith in him, that is offered to us too, his victory over death, the reward for his keeping the law, living that perfect, sinless, righteous life, can be ours as well. When you see it laid out, it's so simple, and you wonder, how did we ever, how did we ever not see this coming? And the, so the mystery is now fully revealed. It is through Jesus alone that we are changed. The change that Paul says has to happen it is through Christ alone that we are made fit for eternity. Amen? And so, with just, just a little explanation, it is as simple as a children's mystery book. 
Never mind Sherlock Holmes. It's as simple as a kid's book where you pick it up to read to them and you know from page one what's going to happen. But every time you read it to them, it blows their mind. And they're just, oh my gosh, how did he get there? And you think, oh my gosh. I've read this 10 times today. How do you not see this coming? It's just like this. When we see it, when we get it, it is mind-blowing. And kind of like Brenda alluded to, it is life-changing. It is destiny, literally destiny-altering. And I mean literally, literally, not like kids. Like literally just push me. I mean properly, actually, seriously, it changes your destiny. It's the same way you look back through your mystery novel and you think, oh, that's why he said this. That's why he went there on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. All these little details that you've never seen all of a sudden become so crystal clear. And it's, it's exactly the same for us. We go back and we, we go from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And, this, and we see that this was promised, this was predicted, this was prophesied. Now we see it everywhere. We see the whole of the Old Testament as a revelation. The whole of the Old Testament is a mystery that is made clear in Christ. We look back and we see the very first time this gospel, this good news was announced in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning. We see the deliverance and the rescue of, of God's people in Exodus, saved from slin, uh, slin, that was sin, uh, saved from sin, delivered, sin and de delivered, mixed together. Uh, <laughs> God's people saved, delivered from sin and the inevitable death. They would have faced in Egypt, rescued for something much better. We see the atonement and the shedding of blood for forgiveness in Leviticus. We could go on and on and on and on and on. We see the just radical obedience and the countercultural obedience in the prophets. We just see elements of this mystery now everywhere we look. We see the need for change. Spelled out for us again and again and again. And we also now see the method of change. And when we do, we say with Paul wholeheartedly, thanks be to God who gives us this victory. Because we cannot earn it. It's not going to happen any other way than keeping every last point of the law. Which if that were possible, I'm sure, I'm sure we'd be doing it. We would be doing it. So we see the need for change. We see the method of change. And then we say with Paul wholeheartedly, thanks be to God who gives us this victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do we, what do, we do with it? What do we do with this? This revelation. This literally life-changing revelation that we need to be changed to enter into eternity, to defeat death. And it's through Jesus that that's offered to us freely. What do we do with this? Well, thankfully, Paul also tells us. Uh, so we'll read verse 58. He says, So then, as a result of this mystery, this revelation, now you know, dear brothers and sisters, be firm, do not be moved. 
always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And this is so typical for Paul. He gives us the answer to the question that most of us are probably asking. So what do we do? You know, we've come, we've sat, we've listened, we've learned a bit, we've made these connections. Now what? What do we do? Do we just go? <laughs> Mind blown. We'll potter around the supermarket as if nothing's happened. So what do we do with it? And it, it, Paul tells us, thankfully. Uh, because for Paul, having your theology correct, viewing God and the world properly, always leads to proper behavior. It's never something that we just come and sit uh, and listen to and learn. It also affects our behavior. So it's no surprise uh, for us to see then that this wonderful, uh, rich chapter where we've talked about the logic of resurrection and the theology and the theological inevitability of your resurrection. We've talked about the future, this mystery. He's going to wrap this up with a supremely practical encouragement and a challenge. And now we know this mystery. We're at the end of the Sherlock story. What do we do? What do we do with it? What do we do with this revelation? He says, be firm and don't be moved. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Okay, so the Jesus stuff's cool, but you need to do X, Y, and Z to kind of bump yourself up. Increase your standing. You can believe in Jesus, and a little bit of this probably won't hurt. He says, no. Be firm, and do not be moved from this position of knowing and understanding this revelation. And then, in a supremely practical challenge to people, this is always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about activities, things, stuff that we do that is specifically Christian. Now, <laughs> if you've been around churchy people before, you've probably heard the word fellowship. And for a lot of people, it means come to my house, let's share a pizza, maybe watch a movie, and then leave. Like that's not specifically Christian. Paul's talking about stuff that you do that you wouldn't be doing if you didn't know this, this mystery. If this hadn't been revealed to you, you wouldn't be doing it. He says those things keep on keeping on uh, to the best of your God-given abilities. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. Do more of them. Be outstanding in those things. So just think for a moment about your normal, regular week. Sunday morning to Saturday evening. Think about your rhythms and your routines. Where you go, what you do, who you hang out with, what you spend your money on. All these things. So much of that stuff. So much of what we choose to invest ourselves into is passing away. And so, that investment, our work, Paul calls it, in those areas is in vain. He's really straight. It's in vain, we read. He means that it's kind of pointless. It's a little bit hollow. Not really achieving much. So much of what we invest our time and our talents and our treasure into will never 
give us any kind of significant return. And let's be really honest, we'll just be forgotten maybe the day, the week, the year after you've died. Nobody's going to care how much time I spend building bicycles when I'm dead. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> Nobody cares now. So when I'm gone, nobody's going to care how many Sherlock Holmes books I've read, how I can skillfully weave my favorite literary character into a sermon. Nobody's going to be bothered about that when I'm dead. How much... Nobody's going to be bothered how many brides you've hosted, whether you're the center of your community for brides. No. Um, if you cook the best Thanksgiving turkey in the world, after you've died, nobody cares. Uh, nobody's going to be particularly bothered how many lakhs you earn at work. Like, here and now, people might, oh, very, yeah, when you've died, no. <laughs> but Paul tells us, God tells us, speaking through Paul, Scripture tells us that what we do for the Lord is not in vain. It's not hollow. It's not empty. It doesn't die with you. What we do for the Lord, what we do in His name, he, uh, Paul writes in a, another letter, that is us investing our time, our talent, and our treasure with a 100% chance of a great return. We're not spending stuff never to see it again. We're investing into something, into somebody that is already in the future. It is the best choice of where to put your time, talent, and treasure that you could possibly make. Now, don't get me wrong, you can still bry, you can still build a bike, you can still cook a Thanksgiving turkey, as long as it's not dry. You can still do those things, you can still enjoy those things, but let's not put it as the pinnacle of our existence. Because when we invest ourselves and what we've been given in the work of the Lord, that will be remembered. And it has eternal and lasting value because with the resurrection of Jesus, eternity has already begun. The change in us has started. So Paul is urging the Corinthians to see that what they choose to do for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, the explicitly Christian stuff that they do that they wouldn't be doing without this revelation is not in vain. It's not hollow. It's not pointless. And it's not going to die when they do. Now, maybe some of you feel like the work that you're doing for the Lord is not very important. Or it's not very visible. Nobody knows. So therefore, it's not very important. But let me tell you now, it is. It is really important. You might put chairs out on a Friday morning, but just because you're not leading the church into worship with a, a, a microphone and, and an instrument, there's no lesser value in that. What you do in the Lord, Paul says, is not vain. It's not pointless. Jesus doesn't reward us based on results, facts, figures, the, the, the data of what you've been doing. We're not called to the same work, the same labor. We are here, all, every single person who gets and understands and confirms and affirms this mystery is called to be busy with the business of the kingdom. We're not told when we get there, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's have a look at your facts and your figures and your data. Let's see what you really did. Very impressive. No, we're told, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in in a little, and enter into the joy of your master. Because what you do for him lasts eternally. So what we do with this mystery, this revelation of God, really matters. 
now. And it also really, really matters eternally. And it matters more than anything else in our lives. And so really, this, this passage is a huge challenge for the believer. And so as Paul did for the Corinthians, I would also challenge you with the same. Now you know this mystery, this revelation of God to you through Jesus. I would challenge you to look properly at where you are investing your time and your talent and your treasure and how much of that can really be classed as investing in the work of the Lord and therefore how much of it has eternal significance and eternal value and so as we wrap up as we finish this wonderful rich revelatory chapter with all its knowledge about life about the future about death about resurrection Paul underscores it he wraps it up perfectly with a really really simple important and practical to do so then as a result of this revelation, as a result of all we've learned in 1 Corinthians 15, dear brothers and sisters, be firm, do not be moved, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.